0: Amen. Don't our uh, doesn't Pastor Nate do a great job with the worship, the worship team. Love it. Well, um, it's good to be with you this morning. Uh, excited about the word today. You guys ready for the word? All right, good. Hey, next week we're going to start a new series called uh, Small Fry. Everybody say Small Fry. Small fry. We're going to be handing out small fries. We're not. I'm kidding. Uh, no. Uh, but we're going to start this series that I think you're going to love. Uh, in it, we'll be going through uh, verse by verse through some of the most overlooked uh, books of the New Testament. Jude, Philemon, 2 John, and 3 John. So we're going to be going through those books that you kind of read over really fast as you're reading the New Testament. And uh, for you to kind of disappear, right? And so you disappear and then you reappear in September like nothing happened. You're like, I was here the whole time. I don't know. But I want to challenge you this summer to not do that, uh, to not just disappear for the entire uh, summer. That paradigm, that pattern of church attendance, it, its really, I really think it's, it's detrimental to your faith, uh, but more so to the collective faith of your family, right? Uh, because what you speak to your kids when you do that whether you really believe this or not, is that this whole God thing is kind of optional, right? This whole God thing is kind of optional. It's something we do when it's convenient, but when we're choosing between the cabin or the lake or fishing or baseball and, or whatever, and God, God loses. So I'm not talking about perfect attendance. Don't hear what I'm not saying, all right? I'm not talking about perfect attendance. I'm not talking about legalism. I'm just talking about maybe now's a good time to sit down with your family and be intentional about planning the summer out to where you don't look up eight weeks from now and go, I haven't been to church in two months because of baseball, because of this, because of that, because those things can kind of crowd God out, right, crowd church out. And so I just want to challenge you and, uh, and ask you to, to consider doing that, being intentional, setting up your calendar in a way that God is honored, God is first, your family's faith is central. And I believe if you do that, you'll see the Lord really work in your life. God is doing some great things at Great Oaks Church, isn't he? Uh, and you don't want to miss it, and I don't want you to miss any of it. So. But today, uh, I've got something very basic and easy and elementary to talk to you about, no big deal at all. Uh, we're going to talk about God's sovereignty, You guys ready? And so God's sovereignty and how it affects our lives and how uh, we fit into that. Uh, And so this has been a huge topic that has been very divisive and very problematic at different times across Christian history. I mean, this has been at the forefront of our Christian faith uh, at different times for for centuries at a time. Um, So it's just an easy one. It's no big deal. Um, We're going to solve it today. Uh, no, it's not so simple, but I, I love deep theological things that and questions that really have no answer. Don't you love those? Some of you are like, those drive me crazy, right? I need answers. I love wrestling with tensions that we find in the scripture and trying to solve those tensions, even though I know that we can't. And so I, I love that kind of stuff. Um, and, and and you may think that this is academic or philosophical And thus, not important. Uh, You may think that this doesn't really affect your life on a daily basis, but it does. And if you'll listen today, if you'll hear what the scriptures have to say about this, and you'll open your heart, and you'll have ears to hear, um, I believe you'll get a lot of life. And a lot of freedom out of it. If you have your Bible, you can grab it now and head over to Psalm 139 and Acts 17. Those are the scriptures that we're going to get to eventually. And you can be ready for that. There will be some other scriptures up on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you didn't bring one today, grab your phone or tablet. Head over to the YouVersion Bible app and click on live event. And we have a live event set up where you can follow along all of our notes and all of our scriptures are on there. But I want to... um, tell you some of my journey uh, before we start talking the ins and outs of sovereignty. Is that all right? It doesn't really matter because I've got the face mic and you don't, right? Um, So I've got the face mic so I get to do whatever I want. But um, I'll tie it all together in the end so just hang with me. But We'll do story time and then we'll do sovereignty time. Okay, you ready for that story time? Then stop sovereignty time. So, for the most of, for for the most part, I grew up in a in a Christian home in a great home. Uh, my parents loved Jesus. Uh, they got us into church uh, every day. Every time the doors were open, basically, uh, they were Sunday school teachers and committee member members and things like that, and so um, they, they lived it at home, too. They loved me. They loved my brothers. I had it good, and from my perspective, uh, they had this great faith because they never really wavered, and I, I didn't have a lot of dogma in my life, in my house growing up, and what I mean by that is it wasn't a lot of you have to do this because you're a Christian, or you can't go there because you're a Christian, or you can't watch this kind of movie. I mean, there were some of that, but not a lot, and so it wasn't like I had to dress a certain way or anything, Like that, My mom never sat me down and said, you can't listen to this kind of music because it's, and you have to listen to this other. There wasn't a lot of legalism uh, growing up. It was uh, modeled pretty good to me, this balance between uh, relationship and religion, law and grace. And so um, that was modeled uh, well to me. Then when I was eight years old, I was at uh, a VBS, which is kind of like cross training. And I was was at a VBS and I heard uh, the gospel presented in a simple way that I could understand. And so I raised my hand. Uh, for salvation, and I was baptized uh, two weeks later. Uh, the person who taught that class was a guy named Bob, um, and that's all I really know about him. <laughs> all right, I was eight, he was Bob. All right, And so from there, uh, I, I was a pretty good kid. I, I was good at school, I liked church, all of that. Uh, but when I was a t- teenager, I got off track a little bit. Uh, some things happened in my family that just kind of derailed me, and I stopped liking church, and I started hanging around with a different crowd of kids. And I started doing drugs and drinking alcohol and a lot of other things that I shouldn't have been doing. But during that time, I still went to church. I still did the church thing uh, on Wednesday nights and on Sunday mornings to kind of make my parents happy and to make them think that I was still this good kid. And I was just a, I was a skeptic. I just didn't really believe. And um, at that time, there was this youth pastor at this small Baptist church we went to. I Grew up in a in a town, a a big city metropolis of 606 people. That's what, um, that's what the the sign said. Uh, When about the time I graduated high school, or or came back after high school, driving through town, I saw a new sign: 646 people. So (laughs) it was a big day. All right, it was a big day. Uh, It was a big day when we got a gas station. Or it was that kind of a town. And so um, it was this small town, small a little country. Uh, church, And so I would go there, and there was this youth pastor there named Corey. And Corey, he reached out to me in a way that I hadn't expected. He didn't come at me with, hey, I can tell that you're living for God, and you need to do this, and you need to be better. Um, you need to be a better person. He didn't do that. He saw me for what I was, just a hurting teenage kid and he just tried to make a relationship with me he he always uh made youth group fun and he went to football games and he was just a cool guy partly because he played guitar right and so I don't play any instruments and so that was cool and so uh we we hung out and um so one year uh he he asked me to go to youth camp with him in the summer and I I said yes because he was a cool guy and but I was still skeptical and I thought it would be pretty goofy um I had never been before. I thought it would be like this organ playing, like um, just a goofy deal. And so, but I was willing to go for, for Corey. So I went to youth camp, and it was fun because there were girls there, right? And so lots of them. And so um, it was a fun week, and I was glad I went. Uh, but uh, it was also pretty goofy. I mean, the, the speaker uh, for the week uh, seemed to care more about us not having sex before, uh, were marriage than than anything else. That's all he seemed to talk about, and uh, he talked about how horrible horrible that was. And he passed a rose um, around the auditorium, and everybody handled the rose, and then it came back to him, and he said, "Look how messed up this rose is. So are you if you are um, having sex before marriage." And I just thought, man, and I, I elbowed Corey, and I said, "A rose? I ain't no rose." right? This just doesn't even have anything to do with me. I don't even understand what he's saying. And he talked, the speaker talked about his great love for God and how we should all be in love with God. And he talked about getting up at 6 a.m. and praying and reading your Bible and having a quiet time. We got to think of a better word for that, right? Sounds like time out, like, go have your quiet time. Get in the corner, all right? So he's like, 6 a.m., get up and do it. And I, I was rebelling against God, and I didn't believe maybe God was even really real or maybe not worth serving. And so it just didn't, it was so removed from me. And I, I told Corey, man, Corey, getting up at 6 a.m. to read my Bible, that sounds more like hell than heaven, right? <laughs> and I don't really think that this just doesn't have anything to do with me. And Corey, um, he was gracious, and he... He was gentle and he tried to talk me through that and he tried to explain that. And he wasn't dogmatic and he wasn't all about getting the message across and the message, the message. He was about uh, me and relationship and he, he was about being my friend. And even though I didn't come back to Christ, Corey made an impact on me. He planted a seed. He helped me take the next step towards God. Well, Corey was only there for a year or two and then he, he moved on. Then when I was a sophomore in high school, my dad started taking me to different churches in in a city called Abilene that was about 15 minutes away from our small town, and uh, it's a city about the size of Peoria. And uh, by this time, uh, we lived in Abilene, although I was still going to school in that small town. And I lived with my dad because my mom was struggling with um, alcohol and prescription drug addiction. And And my dad knew that I needed to be plugged into a life giving church if I was going to come out on the other side of high school uh, doing what's right. And so we ended up at this huge church called Beltway. And it was totally different than anything I'd ever experienced in that small country church I grew up in. They had about three times as many people in their youth ministry than that church I grew up in had in their whole church, right? And so it was just different. And so we went on Sunday mornings for a while and um, it was there that I started to feel God kind of drawing me and wooing me uh, back to him and, and kind of convicting me of this lifestyle that I had uh, been, been uh, living and uh, because in my head, church was this goofy, outdated thing, and I was skeptical. But uh, when I went to Beltway, uh, the, the music really touched me, and the, the pastor's name was David McQueen. He, he spoke in a way that I could understand, and he really related, and he was down to earth, and, and his messages reached me. And so I started considering letting God back into my life. And so I decided I'd go to church on Wednesday night and see what youth group is about. And so I didn't know anybody, and so I took my friend Wade. Wade. And Wade like lost a bet or something. And he had to come to church with me because that's the only reason. I don't know why he came. All right. So he was like, "Man, I'll go. Okay, I'll go." So we show up. As soon as we get there, Wade is very happy he came. You know why? Girls. <laughs> there were girls there. all right? About 300 in the youth group. About 200 of them were girls. All right. So Wade's like, "I've never seen this many. This is awesome." We're from this small town, so he was he was really pumped about it. All right. So he he was excited um, and. So, as soon as we walked in, this guy walked over to us, a uh, guy with this long goatee, walked over to us and started talking with us, and the guy's name was Rick Blackington, and he was the youth pastor, and I thought, wow, this is pretty cool that he came over and talked to us. He's got this huge thing, all these kids, and he's, got, he's running the whole show, and he uh, took the time to come and talk to me and Wade, you know, um, and welcome us and ask us just how we're doing, and, and, and like Corey, Rick was very relational, and he just asked Wade and I, what's up? You know, who are you? And just in the middle of the crowd of 300 with tons going on, he stopped and he talked with us, and it seemed like we were all he cared about for that moment. And then he introduced us to some other sophomore guys. Uh, One was named Andrew Teagle, and the other was Jesse Davis. Well, I had a great time that night, and I went back. The next week, Wade didn't come with me, even though the girls were still coming. He didn't come. Uh, And so I went by myself, and right when I walked in, Rick came over and said, "'Jake, how's it going?' Where's Wade? And I was like blown away. Like he remembered my name? That was, that's crazy because he's got all these kids and all this stuff going on and he still remembered my name and um, it, it really stuck with me. I started going to that youth group every week. A few months later, as I'm still wrestling with this and still kind of a skeptic, um, they started advertising this mission trip uh, to do street evangelism in Hollywood. And so I was like, Hollywood? That sounds pretty sweet, you know. But uh, street evangelism, that sounds kind of, that's not really my thing. Is that like standing up on a box and megaphone and yelling at people that they're going to hell? Because I'm not really for that. And uh, I just, "Eh, I'm probably not going to go. But Rick came up to me during that time, and he encouraged me to go with him on this trip. And then I found out that Andrew and Jesse, who had become my friends, were going uh, also, so I went. While we were there in Hollywood that summer, um, I watched Andrew and Jesse, these other sophomore guys, I watched them uh, hand out tracts about Jesus and talk with people about Jesus. Uh, with this genuine love for these people and and brave you know courage that I didn't have and I thought man what is it that they have that I don't have I mean I'm they look just look so calm like here's the gospel of Jesus Christ you know and let me talk to you about Jesus and I've got the tracks in my hand I'm like here you go oh uh, sorry here you go uh, okay uh, I'm sorry no uh, whatever all right so. That's kind of the way I was doing it. I was like, man, they got something I don't have. And so I just, I just felt like I want that. I want whatever it is they have. And I talked with them, and um, I gave my life to Jesus again on this mission trip in, um, in Hollywood. And I surrendered all the hurt and the questions and the pride to him. And God's spirit enlightened my soul to the truth of the gospel, and I was saved. And then for the rest of the trip, I handed out um, tracts and told people about Jesus without fear. And I loved it, enough to tell Rick on the way back that I thought I might be a pastor uh, when I grow up. And I told him I wanted to be a youth pastor like him. But to this point, I I had still been living this double life. I was doing the church thing on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, but I was doing all the wrong things with my school friends. and So I was still doing that. But after that trip, um, I went home, and I was determined to be different. And I thought I'm gonna. I still went to this small country church. No, there was no crossover between church and school. And uh, my week, you know, week in, week out life. And so um, I went back and I was determined to be different. I'm going to do something different for God. I'm going to stop drinking and partying and doing all these things. I'm going to be different. And so I gathered some of my friends together. It was in the locker room like after some kind of practice. And I gathered some of my friends together and I, I, I said, listen, we need to be good for God. We need to change what we're doing. We need to do something. Let's give this up. I'm giving this up, you know. And I, I gave what I thought was a rousing speech, all right. Um, it was my first sermon, and it came down to altar time, right? Altar call, and I said, who's with me? And I thought they'd, some of my friends were like, yeah, we're going to do this. And Crickets, right? <laughs> Nobody said anything. And then one of my friends who I'd known since I was five looked at me, and he goes, that's great for you, Jake, but I'm not stopping partying. I mean, I, I'm not interested. And everybody kind of went, yeah, I'm not interested either, and they just kind of walked out. And I thought, well, that didn't go the way I wanted it to go. So I found myself wanting to change but having no support to do it. In fact, most of my friends were the opposite of supportive. They made it their life's mission to talk me out of this new life. So I went home and I told my dad what had happened and I asked him about the possibility of changing schools to start new. And in his wisdom, he suggested we check out this private school, this Christian School uh, that I had heard about, but I didn't know much about. And the only reason I'd heard about this Christian school is because I had met this really pretty girl. You guys seen a theme through this, all right? Just <laughs> I met this really pretty girl in eighth grade, and so I thought, man, that's a good start. All right, so I'll go check out this school. And it was the summer before my junior year at this time, and so I hadn't seen her in years, but I I remembered her, and so I thought, yeah, we can we can do this. And I, I ended up transferring to this new school, this private Christian school. Um, during the Christmas break of my junior year in high school, and it was exactly what I needed at the time. Uh, I made a clean break from drugs and alcohol and a, a lot of other stuff, and I started living for Jesus. And it's, it's not like the kids at this Christian school were all angels, okay? Not Far from it, right? Uh, but there were a few students, uh, juniors, who were trying to live for Jesus, and that was enough. And uh, one of those was Andrew, uh, the friend I had made the first day I went to, uh, that youth group at Beltway. Oh, and that pretty girl was still there. And so that turned out to be a good thing. Her name was (laughs) Erin. After uh, high school, I rebelled one last time. I started college as a pre-med major um, instead of a Bible student. I knew God had called me in the ministry, but my mom had just died of a drug overdose. And I hadn't run from God, but uh, I had actually found a lot of comfort in him through through Rick, my, my youth pastor at the time, Jesse Davis, my best friend from church who's still my friend today. Uh, but I was confused, and so I didn't, I didn't enter into uh, ministry or pursue ministry. I figured I could do medical mission trips and um, help that way. And But one semester later, one semester into college, at a service at Butway, I again felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit telling me, this is not the path I have for you. You need to change. And this time, at this time, I was sitting next to my fiance, and uh, she she saw this conviction on me, didn't know what it was about, uh, but afterwards, I said, "Man." Nah, I'm Aaron, I'm so sorry, you're not going to be marrying a doctor, you're going to be marrying a pastor. Uh, and she was like, I'm out! All right, no, she, uh, she stuck around, <laughs> she stuck in, uh, and so she had no problem with that, she was cool with it. So I changed my major and all my classes a week or two before the next semester started, and I, I also went straight to Rick and said, hey, I'm, I'm doing this, and I became an intern at the church alongside my friend Jesse. And two years later, um, I became the youth and young adult pastor at a church. Uh, called New Hope Church under a great man of God named Chuck Farina, who became my mentor uh, and my friend. Not too long after that, on a two-week mission trip to China, uh, Aaron and I felt the call of God to go there and minister. That's a longer story that I don't have time for today, but we ended up moving to China. While we were raising money, um, our daughter Kennedy was born, and so we uh, ended up taking a a three-month-old baby with us to China. We saw great things happen there and absolutely loved ministry there. Um, We thought we'd be there for a decade or two. That's how much we we loved it. Um, But uh, God had other plans, and he brought us back to pastor. And uh, we had obviously done something to invite his wrath upon our lives because he sent us to the frozen tundra of Green Bay, right? (laughs) And uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, we got to pastor a great church there and uh, watch God turn that thing around, and it was great. And then in a move that was very surprising to us, God called us to be the pastor of a stiff-necked people. Just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> called us here to pastor this great church, Great Oaks. And so this is a long process that got me here, and I'm, I'm so thankful for all of the people that were involved, how each of them played this significant role and God wooing me and drawing me to himself. Now let's talk sovereign, sovereignty for a minute. What does sovereignty mean? We say God is sovereign, but maybe you're new to this whole Jesus thing or you're just checking it out today and you don't really know what that means. It doesn't mean a lot to you. Well, everybody's comfortable with the phrase, God is in control, Right? Have you ever heard that before? Oh, God's in control. It's fine. God's in control. You'll see it on uh, T-shirts, or you'll see it on memes on Facebook, or you'll see it on uh, coffee cups, whatever. It's every, everywhere. When we say God is sovereign, um, we're saying the same thing. He is in control. Uh, but not only is God in control, sovereign is a word that also speaks to hierarchy. And so it speaks to authority. A king is sovereign over his kingdom. So him being sovereign means that God is in control and he has the right to be in control. You see how that's a little different? So he's in control, but he also has the right to be in control. God is sovereign. He's the uncreated creator of all that is. He, If he all of a sudden decided to walk away from creation, it would all cease to exist. He has all the power. He deserves all the glory. He has the right to do whatever he wants. Once with whatever he created, with, which just happens to be everything. So he can do whatever he wants. So sovereignty is not only about control, it's about the right to that control. He is sovereign. God is sovereign. And this is all over the scriptures. Um, I didn't make this idea up, in case you were wondering. Uh, let me give you a few of those. Psalm 135, 6 and 7 says, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth. In the seas and all the deeps. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain, and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. Deuteronomy thirty-two thirty-nine paints an interesting picture. It says, See now that I, even I am he, and therefore, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. You guys should put that on your on your wall at home, right? It's an exciting verse. (laughs) Psalm 115.3 says this, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Proverbs 16.9 says that the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Lamentations. I know you guys love lamentations, right? Uh, I've got uh, all these requests already. Just please preach through the book of Lamentations, okay? Here's your fix for today. Lamentations 3.37. Who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has what? Amen. Commanded it. That's Old Testament. Here's some New Testament. Romans nine fifteen through 16 says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. James 4, 13 through 15 says God is sovereign over small things, too, not just big things like the wind and the waves, but small things. It says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a place, a town, and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist. That's what we should put on a T-shirt, but a mist, right? I'm um, But a mist. It's not exciting. That appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. First Timothy 6.15 says that God is the only sovereign. There's no one else in the running, in case you were wondering. He's the only one. Then check out what it says about Christ in Colossians 1, 16 and 17. It says, by him, Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Not just through him, not just by him, but because of him, for him. All things were created for him. It's all over the place, this idea of sovereignty. So when we talk about this, we start with this very biblical idea that God is, in fact, sovereign right? He is in fact in control. But we struggle with this on a few different levels. Like if God is in complete control, what's the point, right? What's the point? I mean, if everything is already preordained and planned out by God, if I'm already going to do whatever it is I'm going to do, no matter what I want to do every second of my life and you're the same, then what's the point? I mean, I might as well just stay in bed, right? I might as well just stay in bed. If I stay in bed, then that must be what God sovereignly wanted me to do. If I do it, it must be God. He's predestined all of this. And so the the theological question that this points us to is, where does the sovereignty of God end and the free will of man begin? Where is the line there? In other words, how can God be in complete control and I still have free will? Because these two things seem mutually exclusive, diametrically opposed, separate, right? But let me say this about the doctrine or the theology that is at play here. I think, now this is, just, this is just me, all right? It's just my thoughts here. I'm just telling you my opinion. I think that to boil the way in which God's sovereignty interacts with our free will, or maybe a better way to say that is, to boil down the way in which God's will interacts with our will in the confines of creation, to boil that down and say it's either God's sovereignty, predestination, we have no free will, or God's not sovereign and in control and we do have free will, to boil that down and separate that like that, I think is dangerously simplistic and, and maybe even a little ignorant. And maybe even a little arrogant on our part. And here's what I mean by that God is largely a mystery to us, is He not? He's largely a mystery to us. And one of the greatest mysteries about God is the way in which He interacts with creation as Creator. This is a mystery. In Isaiah 55, God says this My thoughts are not your thoughts. Stop there for a second. My thoughts aren't your thoughts, so don't worry about it, right? My thoughts are not your thoughts. Then he says, neither are my ways your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts or my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. We should expect if God's ways and thoughts are so much higher, the higher than the heavens are above the earth. that's pretty high, Right? If they're higher than our thoughts and our ways, then that, what does that mean? What is the implication? The implication is we should expect not to understand, right? When we approach something, we should approach it humbly and go, I'm probably not going to get this because I'm a pretty dumb compared to God. I got nothing on God, and he's got this figured out. And it's okay to wrestle with things, but we're going... This is, we should expect not to understand. So maybe it's not an either or kind of thing. Maybe it just seems that way because of our limited ability to process and understand God and his ways. You tracking with me? That's something I say and then you say yes, I'm tracking with you. Or no, but if you say no, I'm not going to change anything. So you should just say yes. You should just say yes. So you're going, all right, pastor, tell, just shoot me straight here. Is it God's sovereignty, predestination, or is it free will and choice? Just shoot me straight. Yes. The answer is yes. Pastor, do you believe that God is in control and he's so- Yes. Do you believe that he preordains things? Yes. Do you believe that we have some choice? Yes. I believe all of those things. And that might drive some of you crazy, not being able to know and understand God fully, but... It shouldn't, because here's the thing. If you ever get to a place where you feel like you've got God figured out, where you feel like you understand him completely, then the God you're talking about is not the God of the Bible, right? You can't, the God of the Bible is largely a mystery to us. His ways are higher than our ways. He's bigger than us, smarter than us, more powerful than you or I are. We can never fully understand this God. And I know this is a little heady, so let me just say one more thing about it. Um, how, How do we respond to this tension? I think that's important. An appropriate response to the sovereignty of God is not to say, oh, well, if he's in complete control, I might as well just lay in bed because, I mean, whatever happens is him, right? But rather, how great is our God that he's in control. How awesome is he that that creation is his and time is his and we are his. Praise God, he's sovereign. He's in control, he's powerful. Praise him. In an imp- appropriate response to the idea that free will is is in the mix and it 's a mystery it is not oh well if i can 't understand god i 'm just going to give up, or if, if we have free will then god 's not sovereign and therefore not not worthy of my praise and i 'm just going to whatever if he 's not in control and we 've got free will then i 'm out. An appropriate response to that idea is not that, but rather how great is our God. That his ways are higher than ours. How awesome is he that we can't figure him out? How amazing is he that he created the concepts of sovereignty, control, and free will? How awesome is it that even though I don't understand it all, it all works perfectly because God is perfect? Praise him. We respond with worship, mystery, even confusion doesn't have to lead us to despair it can lead us to worship, right? Let me throw two more scriptures out at you, and then I'll try to tie this all together, and we'll close. Psalm 139 and Acts 17. Psalm 139, starting in verse 13, says this. For you formed my inward parts. You knit me together, knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So, so what he just said is that God... Formed you, right? He knit you in your mother's womb. He was directly and intricately involved in creating you, and making you you, in creating your physical body, everything you are outwardly, as well as your personality, your bents, your giftings, everything you are inwardly. And this is great, but but I'm also a little bitter about it, all right? Because that means that God made my ears and my son Joshua's ears stick out of our head in a goofy way, and I'm kind of bitter about that, all right? I'm kind of bitter about that. I can't help it, but I'm kind of bitter about it. And so God also made me in a way that I like to study, and I like to try to figure things out and explain things. I can't help it. God made me in that way. He made me in a way where I have absolutely no artistic ability whatsoever. He did it. I didn't do it. He ma- I can't help it. He made me that way. He wove you together outwardly and inwardly before you were you. Now flip over to Acts 17. That's Psalm 139. Look at Acts 17. Starting in verse 26, the Apostle Paul, is preaching the gospel to the people of Athens, and he says this. And he, God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Here's the important part having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Having, a ter- having determined where they would So stop there for a second. I-, I wanna tie these two together. So we have in Psalm 139, God knitting you together, your personality, your bent, your willpower, the way you are inwardly, your physical body, the way you are outwardly. In Psalm 139, he's knitting you together before you were born. Now in Acts 17, we have the Apostle Paul saying that God not only knits you together and made you who you are, but he puts you at a place and in a time that was determined before you were born. He put you here on purpose. He put you in a certain age, in a certain geographical location, and here's why he did all that. Look back at Acts 17, starting in 27. He did all that, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. So, this is what he's doing. God sovereignly gifted, wired, and placed you here and now so that you could find him, though he's not far from you. How you are, where you are, when you are, it's all God's sovereignty. Listen, beloved, if you'll accept God's sovereignty, if you'll really believe that he is in complete control, you won't just put it on a a Facebook post or a T-shirt or have a coffee cup that says it, but you'll really believe it, then your life can be different. God's sovereignty is not something to struggle with or rebel against. God's sovereignty is a warm blanket to your soul, no matter your circumstance, because it means... That God knows well beyond what we can know. He sees well beyond what we can see. And he understands things that we, on our best day, can barely see as a shadow. And he created you and placed you here and now for a purpose. It's not an accident. You are not an accident. And through his goodness and through his sovereignty, he governs. Those are profound, simple truths that if you get them, they change how you interact with God and change how you see life because now your job is not just something you do. You were placed there by God to be an instrument of light in the darkness. And the fact that you like coffee and you go to a particular place for that particular coffee, it's not by accident. You go there to be an instrument of life in the darkness. God has you there. You live in central Illinois not because your job brought you here or your family is here or anything like that. You live here because God placed you here and now to be an instrument of light in the darkness, you're not here by accident. You're not who you are by accident. Do you see how an understanding of God's sovereignty should add weight to everything you do? You were placed here by God. God is involved in your life. He's orchestrating it. He's moving things around. He's putting people in your path that will lead you To him, so that you would seek him, feel your way towards him, and somehow find him. I'm here today because of godly parents a VBS guy named Bob, a youth pastor named Corey, a pastor named David McQueen, another pastor named Rick Blackington, two high school students who love Jesus named Andrew Teagle and Jesse Davis, a beautiful girl named Erin, and a mentor named Chuck Farina. God is still doing this. He's still doing this today. God is in control. He's sovereign. It's a good thing because he is also good. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your sovereignty and your providence. We thank you, God, that you are in control, and we ask that you would help us, even in this moment, figure out how to relinquish control of our lives and the struggle for control in our lives to you that we would trust your sovereignty, that we would trust your goodness. Even though this is kind of a deep theological thing that that many scholars much smarter than anyone in this room have wrestled with over the centuries, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to accept it, not because we understand it, but because we have faith that you understand it. Just with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, uh, just for a moment, just kind of think and ask God, God, what, what are you saying to me right now? What are you saying to me in this message? What are you saying to me today? Just ask Him that if, if you're in here today and maybe today is your day that you'll look back on and you'll be able to trace the sovereignty of God to this moment. Maybe you're realizing that you've been led here now today so that you could find God, finally relinquish control to God for your life. If that's you, I just want to give you a moment to make that decision, to make it real. If that's you, just say a prayer to God right now where you're at. You don't need a pastor. You don't need holy water. You just need to be honest before God. Just say, Lord, I need you. You brought me here to find you, and I'm I'm finding you today. I found you, Lord. I give you my life. I give control over to you. If that's you today and you would say, man, I wanna give my life to Jesus. I want the sovereignty of God leading, orchestrating my life to bring me to this moment so that I can finally give my life over to him. If that's you and you're saying, I I wanna pray and I wanna give my life to Jesus and I want it to be real. With eyes closed and heads bowed, would you just lift your hand up so that I can pray for you? Anyone in this room, you'd say, I wanna give my life to Jesus. I see those hands. Anyone else? Keep them up so I can pray. Lord, I pray for those all over this room have their hands up saying, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want your sovereignty, God, to lead me to this place. Let me accept it today. I pray, Jesus, for them, that they would make a decision for you that lasts. I pray against any distraction as they leave this place. I pray that it, pray that it wouldn't be lightened or lessened tomorrow, but it would be even greater tomorrow, this, this passion for you, this, this passion to surrender to you. I pray that you would hold them strong. In Jesus' name, everybody said, "Amen." Hey, we're gonna have some prayer team on each side of the room today. Uh, if you just raised your hand, you said, "I want to give my life to Jesus." I would love for you to go get some prayer during this last song. But maybe you're in here and you're you're just struggling. You just you came not from a place of just you know unicorns and rainbows, but you came from a place of man. I'm struggling right now, and this whole sovereignty thing is difficult, and I'm not sure about this. And you need prayer. You want prayer. I would love for you to go get prayer uh, during this song. I know we're a little late today, but if you want prayer, we wanna pray for you. Why don't you stand with me? Here's my prayer for you today. May you have eyes to see this and ears to hear it. May God's sovereignty cause you to run to him instead of against him. In light of God's sovereignty, his purposeful orchestrating of your life, may your life have deep meaning that saves you from a thousand boredom's. And may you live life intentionally, on purpose, because of your conviction that none of it is by accident. Don't miss next week as we start our new series. God bless. Thanks for coming today.